The Hard Yards on Sports Joe. Brought to you by Innocent Super Smoothies. On the bright side. Before, but I'm the referee on this field, not you. Hi Rob, Zeeb's here. Just want to discuss the captaincy next. He's calling. Oh, and Ringrose comes through. Oh, that is brilliant from Ringrose. Ringrose is going here. What a score! Welcome along to the Hard Yards, episode 65. I'm Andy McGeady. I have James Downey and Kevin McLaughlin in studio with me. Hello. Morning, Andy. Uh, we've no Pat McCarry in studio today, but we he was at the Aviva Stadium on Saturday, so we'll be hearing him speaking with Jonathan Sexton and a few others a little later on. Uh, before we start, make sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud and all good podcast apps to get the show straight to your phone. Gents, there's some uh, good rugby played over the weekend. We were talking about uh, match preparation, Baba style. I'll take that one then. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, f- a very interesting uh, contrast of uh, match prep, isn't there? When you see a theme, um, two training sessions, a fancy dress, a few beers, um, put what those, did I get Six, to 60? 65 got to 60. points yeah, on England. Yeah. yeah, like against a <laughs> an Eddie Jones um, tight regime. So yeah, it's, a, it's amazing the way um, just a different... Uh, different sides of the coin and, and how it is when, when players are actually kind of constricted to how they're playing and the shackles are off and you can just play the game for enjoyment which is why you play the game and look at the okay they've got some unbelievable players and um, and line breakers there but Jesus they made them look at a very very average incredible talent on the Baba side though yeah you throw those guys into the mix <coughs> it doesn't matter if they've been on the piss all week like they can still <laughs> you know yeah. so uh, it's, like it's it, a refreshing to see that rugby can still throw up something like that it's good yeah like England would be fired up they really won't have enjoyed that at all yeah because at the end of the day they're building into a tour three tests against South Africa and they would have been they would have had, like you had optimal preparation that week third loss in a row as well third loss in a row they would have known exactly who was playing that weekend you know, because they're leaving out the Exeter and the Saris guys. Mm. So the same group would have been training all week. They would have done proper preparation, lineouts organised, everything. The Babas probably threw their lineouts together on Friday. Like, yeah. Yeah. that's kind of what you're th- what you're talking about. And um, that's good for the game. It's just not good for England. No, that's <laughs> all right. Well, that that can be good for the game too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah. So anyway, Scarlets came to town on Saturday. Scarlets hadn't been too happy with their preparation fairly vocal about their opinion <coughs> of artificial pitches have you played on Jimmy you've played yeah, artificial yeah, yeah no um, there was kind of at the time when they were kind of coming into fashion there used to be a lot of um, kind of player feedback on them about how it impacted your body like this is after premiership matches now mm. in, in the UK and um, for me personally not a fan but that was because I used to have back issues and I think I don't know on the hard surface this kind of wasn't conducive What, but I guess you look at the kind of you look at how it works in Ireland and you look at the kind of lenses set up and all the schools players every school now has got a 3G, 4G pitch um, so they're getting used to it I think it's maybe what you're used to as well but um, they, it does burn Clontarf has one as well now they have a 4G it, it does burn like if you slide down there it's like you do burn I think that's what the Scarlet's players were talking about mm. if you looked at their legs at the weekend um, a lot of them had the kind of those cuts and they did the horrible cuts that when they do like the they're still moist and they still they stick to your sheets or they stick to your clothes and it's actually horrible. And that was a quote which is interesting. Um, if if someone hasn't had one of those before, it's the way that they weep at night is actually really annoying. When 
I think it might have been Johnny McNichol saying, you know, waking up multiple times, you're sticking to the sheets. I, I hear him on that. It's really, really annoying. And when you're trying to prepare for a big game, Kev, it actually isn't ideal. I know there was a lot of joking about it, but it's not ideal. I just cannot believe that they spent the week talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, if I was Wayne Pivak, I would have been absolutely furious. With the players? They're playing a final and they're yeah. talking about grazes on their legs. Yeah. And like, if they're annoyed and if they have issues with it, go directly to Glasgow, keep it quiet, don't go to the media about it. Like, the yeah. Lancer lads are looking at that and going, Jesus, like, where are these lads' heads at? Is that the best excuse you have? There's no way Esau or Johnny would allow any of the players mention a graze on their leg and lead up to a final. There's other things to be thinking about. Like, that's, it's a distraction. Hmm. And the very fact that they're mentioning in the media means they're thinking more about that than they are about hmm. how are we going to beat the best team in Europe this weekend. I... I actually could not believe it. And when I began reading, I was like, Leinster have this game. Yeah, yeah. So I thought too. Draw a line under it straight away. Like, that game's over. Yeah, Who cares? You need like the leaders, the referee, in, yeah, leaders in your team to step up and go, lads, that was tough. Our legs were all sore. We're all in the same boat. Let's forget about it and move on. Mm. We'll, we'll think about it after we lift the fucking trophy at the weekend. That's the way your head's at. It's the same as if you had a, a brutal referee and you just go, oh, the referee, oh, even though you'd won, it's like, park it, draw a line under it, move Sorry. on. New game, new week. So in terms of that prep, um, that was the second big knockout meeting between Leinster and Scarlets in, in a month or so. Yeah. What differences did you did you see in the way that either Leinster or Scarlets approached that game? Because in fairness, Scar- Leinster's performance in that Champions Cup semi-final was one of the great performances of this season. They yeah. steamrolled Scarlets yeah. and Scarlets would have been looking at that hellbait for revenge. Did they manage, scoreline score aside... What did you see in the approach? Um, from my perspective, I saw um, just a breakdown. I thought they targeted the breakdown a hell of a lot more. I think from the first game, um, Leinster just got such quick ball and you can't let them get that quick ball. Um, I think they fatigued then later on in the game to actually uh, put those numbers in. You could see Ty Byrne was getting involved, James Davies, uh, Shingler when he was on. It was like they were getting him as much as they could to try and slow that ball down. Um, but Leinster were just a couple of times I thought as well maybe Berry could have given a few pens but there's a couple of close calls but just to get that defence organised if you can't get your defence line organised you're going to struggle against a quality side like Leinster as they showed Yeah mm-hmm. like Berry Berry was a good referee mm-hmm. for Leinster he likes to favour the attacking team and you're right there was two or three times <clears throat> in the first half where I said that could have been a pen mm-hmm. against Leinster but he just let it play but like I actually saw very little difference between the semi-final and that game mm-hmm. like Leinster were steamrolled them again they were the game was over really at half time for all intents and purposes and they, they finished it off then the first 10 or 15 they were so clinical in the first 10 minutes of the second half um, and th- they're just so ruthlessly exposed the weaknesses of the Scarlets uh, have and I think um, Scarlets would have looked at the way Rasting slowed Leinster's ball down got line speed got in their face but it's very hard to do that on a dry day <clears throat> I, I maintain that if it's a dry day in Bilbao Leinster beat Rasing by 20 or 30 points I think the only reason and I was chatting to a couple of the Leinster lads after the game and they said it was very frustrating they could see holes everywhere but they just couldn't expose them because yeah. it was so wet it was so hard to play um, and I just think Leinster's power game uh, allied with an ability to expose weaknesses and, and, and find space is just it's really really hard to compete against and Scarlet's didn't really have any answer to it but it's just so impressive like that the way they approach the game and, and I'm talking about Scarlet's mental weakness is essentially what I would have seen it as the way they um, focused on grazes on their knees like the, the ability for Leinster to stay grounded and for their leadership figures to, st- to stand up and make sure that everyone kept their feet in the ground 
um, everyone realised that they hadn't done anything yet and if they didn't win the final against the Scarlets they would have actually considered the season a failure That that's where they were at and again I was chatting to some of the lads during the week and they were so nervous they were like I know we've won Europe like, but this is what it means to us we've never done this before I think it's, it's also yeah. fear as well I think do you know like, like, who wants to winning something the week before and then losing in the last week would be an as you say but just that come down and that mental attitude you'd have would be, be horrendous you'd be, feel so bad wouldn't you like mm-hmm. even though and if it's a flip side you might feel a little bit better that you'd lost the final the week previous than if you'd won it like but to win the double like it's like what a what an achievement from them, you know, and like like you look across the board and all the different players that stood up for me. Like I thought, Devin Toner had an unbelievable game. Like you know, and every everyone's talking about James Ryan, James Ryan, and mm. Dave pulls out a performance like he did at the weekend. And even I'm sure Issa would have been kind of looked after during the week. Um, and I'm sure Lachlan was in there quite early for a lot of the team run. I don't know. I'm just presuming. Well, that. We, we talked about that point last week because yeah. Leo Cullen said after the semi final um, against Munster that he'd picked. Uh, Issa to play a half they mm. said he wasn't going to get beyond 40 minutes it was a essentially he was saying it was a gamble yeah. when he was happy taken and sure enough in the final he goes off after what 18, 19 how minutes how good was Loco though yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. so delighted for him and uh, you know it says a lot about Issa he spent half his press conference talking about how good he was to- talking about how good Loco was when he came on for him and like that I think that's sort of the measure of the culture in Leinster as well is that your leader is talking about other people most of the time trying to get other people to lift the trophies and there was a lot of talk <laughs> after the game and it just it's amazing when you're listening to the post-match interviews Fifth, the number 55 came up in almost every interview by every player and coach to talk mm. about 55 players used during the season now that's a huge number mm. and it's great that Leinster have the capacity to carry that many players at a professional level um, but yeah that seems to have been a theme running into the game for them yeah it was and they needed it because the ability I, I think the, honestly the only way they could win that semi-final against Munster was by freshening things up mm. I think if they'd gone with the same 15 or as close to the same 15 as, as was physically possible I actually think they would have lost and that's not because the quality of players is is any different or the quality of players goes down it's because that they needed to freshen things up and guys like uh, Jack Cohn and Rory O'Loughlin just brought this freshness to things and this hunger having sat in the bench in Bilbao and, and watched from the stands or whatever you know this this intensity that they brought I think it energised the whole team and James Lowe as well the last two games yeah mm-hmm. yeah exactly and it was very hard for him sitting in the stands in oh. Bilbao I'd say and, yeah, and, and it's out of his hands a lot of it then isn't like it's just the circumstances of yeah. Okay, Luke's injured, so we're gonna kind of have to like drag you along here a little bit. But again, it's it's even if they had even if they had a scrape by that Munster game, they would would have had a knock on effect somewhere, be it in the final, be it in on, on at the weekend, uh, just gone. Like you know, it's just to fight to to play those so many games, so many intense games in a row, like at this time of the year. Like and look, okay, we know that players aren't going to be training much. This is they all know what their jobs at this stage of the year. Oh, geez, you like to think so, but like you know, <laughs> but they did like and, and they did exactly what they were supposed to do. But like that squad depth is just. I know we've spoken about it before. We've harped on about it a lot, lot but like it's unbelievable the depth. Like and but but the quality you lose. Even uh, Kev's mentioned O'Loughlin you lose Issa and it's like oh, like so early in the game and if you think of if um, if Scarlett had lost um, Scott Williams or something that early that's going to be a huge blow mm. for them or mm. Lee Haven that's going to be huge it's like yeah grand yeah Rory's in he knows his job he he looked like he'd trained all like it's not yeah. as if he was like oh I'm into 12 I haven't trained he looked like he was in that position he'd done it he'd done it the, uh, the, the week previous and and 
He is out of position though. He's not a twelve. No, he's not. He's, he's actually a winger. Which really. makes it and against against it it more a partnership of uh, Hadley Parks yeah. and Scott Williams, who are yeah. who have been prolific both of them, and um, the defensive nows that they both have are. Uh, like top notch they're top centres to play against like you know and to come in and like get in game line he was running great lines and everything he was doing like he had the energy about mm. him you know and that, that youthful exuberance that we speak about yeah yeah it's annoying the young <laughs> um, but, but leaving the youth aside like yeah. sorry I just have to say um, talk a little bit about Sexto and how good he is and you talk about uh, a team like Scarlet coming in to, to the Aviva like they're going to have some doubts playing against the Champions of Europe and Johnny is just so good at making teams doubt themselves making Lee Halfpenny drop the ball putting up three or four bombs on Steph Evans like some of their best players and the way he executes that game plan and I love the way um, after taking that shot that you know he thought was high and was questionable enough um, that the penalty was given you know I know there's a lot of differing opinions on it and he's mouthing off then as Scott Williams is running back oh, you yeah. can see he's absolutely fired up and it made me think about you remember Felipe it used to always happen to Felipe get fired up in certain yeah. games and mm. he'd bomb it like he wouldn't be able to, to <laughs> perform when Johnny gets fired up with that he plays better yeah, yeah, he has this ability to be absolutely fired up and like unbelievably physical, but like I see in his execution, okay, so it's pretty incredible. Pause that for a second because we have some tape of Pat McCarry talking to Johnny after the game. Just saying again, you know you're always going to be that guy. You, people are coming after you in games and stuff as well. Scott Williams had the, the target on you there for the whole thing, but a lot of it was kind of it was borderline, but it's fair enough. Again, would you kind of seen it the same way yourself? There was a bit of talk when you're out there in the pitch. Uh, I'm not sure. Again, look, uh, leave those decisions up to, to other people. You just got to get on with the game. Uh, yeah, look, it does. Uh, you know, get on top of me at times. Something that I probably need to. I always keep saying it. Get better at. But uh, like I said, uh, yeah, you just got to move on. I, I, it doesn't. I don't worry about it after games. Well, it was the way you actually kind of moved on quickly enough during after all that kind of the treatment and stuff in the talk took that kick right to the corner as well and then Sean Cronin getting over top. but is there anything you probably enjoyed more than the aftermath of that try being scored and then nailing that conversion as well yeah I obviously went for the, the corner you know I got a little bit lucky because the, the breeze was it, was it wasn't a tough it wasn't a hard breeze but it was it was moving the ball at times you could see a couple of my kicks I, I didn't quite strike them right and the wind actually held me uh, with, with a couple of them but uh, you know the, the wind really kept that one in out, uh, off the corner but thankfully they touched the line and uh, we managed to score for them that was interesting that little chat and uh, to go back to what you were saying Kev Sexton can play well when he's angry when he's wound up that is not the same for every player in fact it can be very dangerous for some players there's very few players actually that have it I think yeah the majority of players like they get fired up like that they get upset the adrenaline starts pumping through through the body and he ends up like booting it into the stands and whatever or skewing the kick off his foot but like yeah to execute like that and then you know the soft hands for the try then on top of that it was just oh, that was <laughs> that was gorgeous that was unbelievable yeah, it, was like blink- it, was it was blinking you'll miss it but so much went on in that James Lowe try yeah. yeah it was fantastic but even even you saw him speaking beforehand to um <coughs> I got a blank in the nine um the, um, Luke McGrath yeah. jeez my god and uh, he was like having a chat going when I want it like give it to me when I call for it yeah. like, you know yeah. and he came around early and just the, the no look pass just kills Johnny McNichol it's just that doubt that he has in his mind because if he steps holds that extra all he needs is a second Johnny and he has that he can make that tackle but yeah. there was but something Johnny Sky Sports so much and he, he kind of turns steps in and he's done yeah there was something Sky Sports kept talking about is that he, he 
inside shoulder like could you just explain what he did there that was, that was subtle but yeah you have to when you're, com- when you're coming around the corner okay he was stood there if you run hard on the inside you've got the doubt of that person on your inside you've got to trust them wholeheartedly that they're going to make that tackle Johnny obviously had a little bit of doubt so close to the line that he said Johnny's also running that hard will he be able to pass so he's going to step in to say I'm going to stop him but as Johnny runs that hard he's got to respect him and Johnny's just able to just, he doesn't even like just no look mm. pass straight across the body and there's no defending that like oh, so hard it's so hard to defend Like, <laughs> and, and the other thing is Johnny is probably the one player in the world that could actually if McNichol had turned out he actually just would have showed and gone yeah, yeah, you know yeah. he has that ability to he, like, like you say he plays heads up so he wasn't looking at, at low outside him he was looking at McNichol and the second he turns, he's yeah. he's like he's I'm like I would have made up my mind before. <laughs> like yeah, I probably yeah, wouldn't yeah, have had yeah. the, the the kind of spatial awareness or the um, uh, peripheral vision to kind of see who is stepping in. And mm. but he was able to do it and just kind of run. Just looks for once he's looking like that. Johnny's looking at him, and me as a defender, I'd certainly step in and go yeah. right. He's going for this line, like you know. Of course, he's going to try and use momentum. Yeah. 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 What um what players have you played with who were able to do that? to get themselves up to that level whether it's you know being sort of antagonised for want of a better word by an opponent or actually psyching themselves up what players have you played with that play better like that not many Heinze used to be good at but he used to more just fire everyone else up <laughs> just go around like niggling everyone but like he just played with a smile on his face and he loved it yeah. uh, so I'm trying to think if uh, Rog wasn't bad at kind of winding people up and himself getting wound up too but he was surrounded by a nice but he nice was always cool then, like, yeah. He? But like people, obviously, he's another kind of section where everyone's targeting him. Yeah. Everyone, like everyone knows um, what they're trying to do to Rod, you know, and just kind of rile him and put him off his game. You're trying to put the key players off their game, and by yeah. by whatever means, whatever percent that's going to be. But if they're if they're that cool, they're that quality, and they're quality for a reason that they just focused. So one moment from this game that I was really, really happy I was on the ground to see was Jordan Armour's try. The, that's one thing I, I, the replays your tweet, I've seen your tweet gave it away yeah a little bit oh sweet wonder of God I was going I, I'm so glad I wasn't on the press box for that <laughs> um, but the speed that he was the speed that he was running at to execute that piece of skill I thought it was absolutely astonishing yeah I thought like um, I thought it was just a nutting kick initially from Scott Williams uh, put it across and then Larmer got it and kicked and I was actually thinking where's the halfpenny but when you've got wheels like uh, Larmer like he does head up the ground and then I saw the back rower beside him and then uh, actually I was going to go what's he going to do now is he yeah. going to try the little dink um, would he slow down but to kind of w- control it and look for a hop well, well when you're running at that speed it would be very very easy to just tap the ball and it goes dead yeah, you know what I mean yeah, yeah. Um, oh, but, yeah. but to actually pick that ball up in mid-flight and to control it and, and get that, over the and line and that's a skill Jesus. that like you all try and do even in training I used to roll it and just run around like from two yards I'm certainly not going at that speed <laughs> that's for sure and it's it's bloody hard enough as it is like when, uh, with a static ball you know So we, we've seen one player do that over the years Draco yeah. versus the All Blacks he's yeah he is probably the one guy over the years like with that low centre of gravity that can move at that pace oh well said Kev that low centre of what are you trying to say <laughs> the tall lads find it hard to get down there no, but, but still to do it in like 
I wouldn't say the audacity to do it, but the, the, that confidence that he has to to back his ability yeah. at that stage, the game kind of that was a kind of nail in the coffin. But mm. still, it was, was a, big, it was a, bit, a big, big, moment. big moment, you know. And it was um, Pat again at the weekend. He was talking to Gary Ringrose and he asked him about the Jordan Armour try. Gary, uh, at the very end of the game, they were all back in the dressing room, absolutely packed. Sean said there's nearly fifty odd lads in there as well. Who's standing up and, and speaking? Or are you guys just kind of soaking it in? Or is there a couple of lads standing up, uh, laying it down again for next season? No, I think I think we all kind of soaked it up because to, to get us to there that point and, and to win it was as a result of you know, 55 plus players that have contributed to it so if it wasn't for that group effort um, yeah, we wouldn't have been there we wouldn't win it and the, and the 23 guys that go out in the day are the lucky ones and, and have the responsibility of representing and, and backing up the work that other guys have done so there was no individuals really it was collective enjoyment and you've scored a few crackers yourself since you've started playing as well but what do you think when you're out there in Jordan Larmer goes out and does something like that He's a freak of nature. I don't know how he does it sometimes. He's, it's pretty cool seeing him do that because he works just as hard as tra- in training and then it comes into fruition in games. So it kind of reinforces the fact that if you work hard in training, that stuff like that can happen and, and you can pull stuff off like that. So I don't find it too much of a surprise when you see the work he puts in and, and what he does in training. So it's reassuring from, from any player's point of view to see that. Yeah, so freak of nature, Jordan Lambert. But it's true. Like the, the, the really good players, the players who do this stuff in games, they're also trying stuff and practicing stuff in training like crazy stuff that we don't get to see yeah and I think Lens have a nice mix now of X Factor and really solid like you look at their centres Henshaw and Ringrose are rock solid and always make the right decisions do the right things then you got wingers like Lowe and Larimer that maybe aren't as solid and make the odd mistake every now and again but make, make things happen in games and I think uh, you know I think they have the confidence and I think Lancaster and Leo give them the 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 past to, to try things. And it's I something that's really that important. It's something Lancaster's talked about. Said that one of the things he feels he's added and has concentrated on is mm. Leinster's ability when the game breaks down. Mm. When the game gets a little bit messy, are you good enough to take advantage of that? And when you've got players like Lowe and Larmer, they can take advantage of that. Yeah, and the majority of the game is played after three or four structured phases. So. I think they they talk about the way they train is you know confident of playing in chaos and I think they put the players in high fatigue high pressure situations in training all the time and just see how they respond and guys like Larimer and Lowe are the type of guys you don't really want to be defended against when you're knackered I think after kind of 15 plus phases Leinster just looks so dangerous Exactly and you you have these players who like you you look at other squads say if you looked at Munster and if they were playing against Racing for another 40 minutes as we said before they just until Zebo came on they just didn't have any match match winners or someone to take the game with a scruff of the neck at that stage well if you look at Leinster at the moment you kind of go well tries can come from everywhere if they skew a kick they've got like even Carberry coming on and Carberry's break was another one that's you know? the very thing I was going to bring up as soon as you said that because Carberry comes into the game and he does something that actually no other fly half on that day could do that, but that's that's the quality that we're talking that Leinster have and that that ability to mix the kind of you need your grafters you need your guys in the cold face doing the hard yards doing the hard work right up there and like without them they can't express themselves or anything you know I think that you look at the quality that Lens to have if there's a skewed kick you see there's a lot of communication I notice now as well between Lowe and uh, Rob Kearney and even Johnny like Colin like we'll go back short side and yeah. like if people make mistakes they've players that can punish and, mm. and these are the small percentages at, at the top level that actually win you, win you these t- titles and, the, and they're so young as well like you know mm. you see these guys mid-twenties 
the future's good. Well, it, and that's and that's an interesting point. So the future of Leinster here, the people have obviously and and understandably got very very excited. There's a core of players here who have won a Grand Slam with Ireland and a Champions Cup and Pro 14 double in mm. the same season. You've got people like Larmer and Ryan who've come through. This is their first their first season. Uh, and when you talked earlier on about depth, Jimmy, th- this is really interesting because these guys have come through towards the top of the pile, not just adding on the bottom, you know, um, and the bottom of a fairly <laughs> fairly high pile to begin with. Mm. We, we can't really expect this to happen again next year, but we're going to have some big losses out of this side. Um, Ricard Strauss is, re- is, is retiring fine he's got a, a great career for for Leinster and, and for Ireland as well um, Issa retiring is huge absolutely huge so how they plug these holes will be really interesting will they go in for another um, non-Irish qualified player for example like what do you think they might do yeah they'll get um, I think they'll get another back to mm. replace Issa they need a consistent senior back there all the time the problem is all their best talents with Ireland yeah. for those big ch- so I think you'll see a sign so, so you mean in. this is someone who can again take a senior place if not captain for the Pro 14 the leader games. role definitely yeah role. someone who's there all year round yeah. I think it's really important to have that stability and like you know, have Scott Fardy all year round in the pack which is going to be huge for them but, Len- um, but Lencer's choice of foreign player has yeah. always been someone who like is just oozes quality for starters can't see a rain but demands respect but also drives standards and you can even after the game I think Nisa or Issa they were talking to him about uh, retirement and he was actually talking about the young lads mm. and I, and again it's that culture thing of not talking about himself he was talking about how the young lads can drive on and, uh, and go on from this and what they need to do and standards set now and this is the kind of the minimum standard requirement so they always sign quality quality foreign players like and Felipe was one to kind of drive standards as yeah. well you know and he was like I'm so passionate and this is a guy who like okay I've been at different clubs where um, foreigners come in or the foreign lads are in there and they'd be quality players but they wouldn't have as much of an impact as like no. Le- Leinster have to get this recruitment all the rest of the provinces have to get it right because yeah. right, rest of the clubs can sign five, six, seven foreigners yeah. makes a difference your ones have to be key the one concern Lancaster and Lee are going to have when they're sipping their pina coladas on the beach over the next few weeks <laughs> is the say the Connacht game uh, where they got pumped and there was another game uh, they lost at home to Treviso with pretty much the second string side which is essentially going to be the side that's around for the you know September when when the Australian international or sorry the, the internationals are away and also with the World Cup period then the following year and that will be a concern that there was maybe a lack of leadership and not necessarily lack of talent but a lack of leadership for tough games so I think Leo will be looking ahead now to August, September to say how can we make sure that that never happens again because uh, you know coaches will be critical on themselves and they want to make sure that they have the ability to absorb those really tough international periods as a province so Mm. a good sign for Leinster after the game when uh, Stuart Lancaster was talking about reviewing that final because it will hold on my team just shipped 30 points mm. so when you all come back I'm not going to forget about that that's a good sign hopefully he's not going anywhere no, I can't be. see it no why would you yeah why would you exactly exactly right um, and we're going to switch tack now there's something else happened this week uh, and uh, I'm going to go back to the Jonathan Sexton bit where he got, where he got angry and you don't like Johnny when he's angry Um the Scott Williams hit on him followed by the James Davies piece uh, World Rugby brought out uh, or they announced uh, two trials going on in the under 20 tournaments 
Um, one involves a high tackle warning and the second involves the nipple line, which is the great phrase. Um, so these, uh, for anyone who hasn't seen this, um, essentially what they're trying to do is to, to go further from when they did when they brought in the, the increased sanctions uh, New Year's Day, I think last year, um, for high tackles. And they're saying, right, uh, if you have, if you've gone in upright into a, into a tackle, uh, we want to stop that. We want to get people bent at the waist. Um, there's a small bit of audio we have here from World Rugby. It's Ross Tucker uh, describing what they're trying to do here. We want tacklers to be bent at the waist. So at the Junior World Cup or the Under 20 Championships, which will be in France now at the end of May, we will trial a post-match sanction where any high tackle penalty, any head injury to either player, any high tackle that was missed on the field but picked up after the match, and any head contact will be reviewed by a sighting commissioner and he will ask one question. Is the tackler upright or bent at the waist? If the tackler is upright, he will receive a high tackle warning. If he's bent at the waist, no problem. He was in the, he was in the safe position and so we are happy with the decision on the field. If he's upright, high tackle warning because that's the behavior we want to move the player away from. And two high tackle warnings in the tournament will mean a one match suspension. So we're hopeful that that message will come through to the coaches because the moment those coaches now start seeing that their players are being sanctioned after the match for being upright, we want them to say, listen, from now on, be bent at the waist, make the tackle in the safer position. So that's the, that's the intention and that'll be trialed at the, at the 120s coming up and if it's successful, then we hope that we can apply that regulation elsewhere. Okay, so that's what they're trying to do. Um, and in terms of some further background, if we go again back to 2017 when they brought in the new uh, increased high tackle sanctions, they didn't actually change the law, they just changed the sanctions. Um, what they were again trying to do was to, from their perspective, to change player behaviour and they're saying, look, that has worked to an extent, but not across all leagues. So there are differences, for example, in the yellow card to high tackle ratios across the different competitions. Overall, we are seeing more yellow cards for high tackles, which is what they want to see, um, but not across all leagues. They're bringing this in, saying a trial. Can we do this retrospectively to again promote a change? So we talked about this very briefly before we went, uh, before we started recording. Um, the, the upright, the being going in upright is not going to be an easy change for some players. There's one that comes to my mind is Jonathan Sexton, but there are others who are happily to go into contact completely upright, and that's something which they're going to want to change. It was quite interesting listening to to Ross there um, talk about um, the the coaches and how coaches are going to be. They're going to go back to coaches and say, "Well, this is what your players are doing." So to me, it goes back to technique and how they're actually coached and what they're doing on the field. Um, I, th I think he was also getting an incentive. So if the coach is seeing his players getting suspended, he's going to go through them and say, "Lads, this isn't happening again." But also, there. But also, like you've got to set. You've got to set your defensive coach has got to set your tone of how you're going to defend, what way you want to defend. I think you look at the way Ireland do things. To do a lot of that choke tackle, that's going to be interesting if they're going to try and try and still play that. Um, how that's going to pan out? Because <coughs> I, I think you see Johnny. He stands up an awful lot in the way he tackles. He tries to hold up for and wait for back rows. Uh, uh, not always, but some of the time. Um, I just think it's it, it goes back to it goes back to how you're how you're coached to, to be honest and um, 
if you're used to dropping your hips and, and getting low and being able to kind of hit people or if you're going low around the ankles that's the way if you're if you're used to hitting a pie and trying to be uh, macho or whatever way you want to call it it's going to be hard to change uh, people's habits so mm. if you get it done uh, to me it goes back to kind of as early as you can go but coaches do something needs to be done I agree but um I, I, I don't know what's it'd be interesting to see how, how strict and stringent they're going to be yeah, the retrospective nature is interesting though so look mm-hmm. l- just leave it to after match leave the ref do what he's been doing and then we'll go back and review yeah there's enough for refs to, to have to keep an eye on but I think it's an interesting idea I think they have to try something but I'm not convinced that it's the answer mm. to trying to prevent concussions like I think the hips and the knees are more dangerous when it comes to concussions you've mentioned that before yeah I just think like you get a lot of kind of hip knee elbow like yeah. that would have always like I would have seen the majority of head knocks and mm. particularly bad ones against Jimmy's hip once like <laughs> like people run hard and then you stick your head and you don't quite get the timing right and you catch the, the bone of the hip the side yeah. of your head and like it's definitely not going to prevent anything there I think head on head is probably less serious than mm. getting a hip on the on the side of the head but listen I think they're at least they're trying things and yeah. I think they have to continue to try things and I think tackle technique is a big focus and if if the, if nothing else this forces teams to do more tackle technique mm. yeah. then I think it's good but that's what, like in some clubs I've had that like the defence coach will come in and we'll, he'll go right well, we're hitting too high this all week what are we doing at the mm. weekend we'll have a review and it'll literally be tackle technique for yeah. for most of the week then you know and kind of going right square up drop your hips get low like and he'll pull aside the he'll pull aside the culprits um, one of the coaches used to and be one to one with them and go right like if you need to work on something and it's the same guys doing it the same mm. time all the time you go right there's obviously something wrong here so and the rest of it is yeah completely like technique getting your head right I, I found uh, a lot of the younger players were kind of their technique was all over the place in mm. terms of like they're putting their head the wrong side instead of like you're you're taught to tackle on your knees and get your head in behind the ass and stuff like that and use your legs to drive should they just throw themselves in front of people you mean you've seen a difference over your career when you're playing in the young yeah like this wasn't as prominent beforehand now it is okay players are getting bigger I I can I I completely agree with that but 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 you're talking pure technique putting your head where you shouldn't be putting your head exactly and people like you see it a lot like you know Mm. okay and I understand there are times when it's going to happen and someone's going to step you you can see it things move quickly out there exactly but some of the ones where you can be in complete control of especially if you can see someone kind of running at an angle and they're not really going to change and I think you can uh, you can do that maybe Kev was just kind of struggling with that when he was trying to tackle me (laughs) (laughs) I I I kind of ran one way no it was the Joey Carberry-esque like footwork right on the line that really threw me when I was tackling you that was the only (laughs) issue so that's so so that's trial one and that's in the under 20 world championship Um, but in the under 20 trophy which is a different tournament they're trying something which will change on the field so this is the nipple line thing so this would actually be changing the height of what a high tackle is so the acceptable height of the tackle will be reduced from the line of the shoulders mm. to the nipple line now this has been trialled before and essentially what you'd want you'd want on every jersey a line across did yeah. you see did you see um, in America was it last year's America or US or whatever it's called the rugby league over there um on their jerseys they had a strip across it yeah. mm. that's, that that's what you'd line. need yeah you have, 100% you yeah. need kind of a target line otherwise otherwise it's going to be so hard to manage and you can otherwise if you have that line you can say right Ruck you're over There's it a makes line. it more clear cut because yeah. like there's a lot of tackles 
where you hit just like at the top of the chest, bottom of the shoulder, and you slide up and catch the chin and stuff. Yeah, and there's yeah. some, there has been some dangerous ones like that where it's very hard for the refs because they're saying he started on the on the chest, but he, he slipped up and, and cracked your yeah. man's chin then. And, 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 and technically and, that's legal because the first point of contact's on the chest because well, you wrap the arm. It used to be legal. And they've, the, uh, the, the view if you start on the chest and you wrap your arm and your shoulder catches the bottom of their chin and they get a f- an awful knock from it. Like for me, that's legal like, at the moment. But that's that's where the the 2017 change. So it, if you've started there, but mm. there was a likelihood of you then hitting the head, okay, it's your fault. Whereas before that, I used I've had conversations before about this, and particularly I will say with Southern Hemisphere um, rugby people who are very big in that first contact. Mm. You know that first contact. If it's on the chest, then whatever happens after that, it's not my fault. Yeah. And that's one of the things which I've done. But both of these, uh, they're interesting approaches. I will say it'd be very, very um, be easy to, to. Well, it won't be easy. We will help keep uh, track of this but yeah. it'd be worth watching I think and they're taking a scientific approach so Ross Tucker is uh, one of the leading uh, lights in sports science and I think he's done the cr- he's crunched a lot of numbers around this mm. and he statistically thinks that this will make a big difference so it'll be very interesting to see how it plays so out that's Kitman Labs fishing I for was, a contract with World Rugby <laughs> yeah well <laughs> Ro- Ross is uh, he spoke at a conference last year there you so go that's how I know him so, a Kitman uh, Labs conference yes absolutely yeah ding 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 <laughs> okay uh, we'll leave that there we're going to take a look at some of your social media questions next. Murder, she wrote, is the perfect thing to watch during the day. You can watch the start, fall off for 40 minutes, come back, see the end, perfect. You know what I mean? You've missed nothing really. Remember, Rod Kev in the Kalina used to have to bring two TVs into the room, one for you for Cheltenham. <laughs> Like every red-blooded male in the country, he'd be watching the horse racing, whereas I'd have a TV for myself for things like Murder, She Wrote and Houses Under the Hammer. Murder, She Wrote is the perfect thing to watch during the day. Welcome back to the Hard Yards. We're going to take a look at some of your social media questions now. Make sure to use the hashtag AskTHY if you want to get a question in for the panel for next week. Actually, before we do social media, uh, looking across the water, as they say. So, Saris beat Exeter. Well done, Saris. Yeah, convincing. Well done, Mark McCall. Yeah, another he's, one. Yeah, he's, that's four for him, which ties Dean, Rec- Dean Richards, which is not bad. Not bad at all, yeah. Yeah. Uh, his record with Leicester um, and then uh, there was a little bit of news during the leave. oh yeah sorry Kev left by the way um, Kev decided that once he got his plug in uh, he was just going to leave he was he was happy he cashed in and he was gone out the gap yeah. standard Kev leaves early very standard um, Ruin Pienaar possibly returning to Ulster as a coach that's an interesting one isn't it, isn't it? Um, yeah I, I watched him playing for Montpellier during the week and again like he's yeah, still, he, he's he's still, still got absolutely he, yeah. yeah like he still controls things still the kind of maestro around there and it's a, it's a huge uh, if you're an Ulster supporter watching that it's oh it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of frustrating isn't it the, the IRV rules on things um, but hold on John Cooney yeah, oh 100% yeah. yeah no but but I'm talking even even pushing to 10 like you know mm. you can still control the game you still need that like we mentioned earlier on about Issa and the influence that he's had uh, Ruins had that up in Ulster but if rumours are correct not always true but 
um, it would be a nice coup for the for the province to get kind of back in the good books of everything and Jeez, and, and PR wise it would be fantastic 100%, 100%. I know sometimes we talk about PR and all this but like there is there is a guy who would be beloved if they if he if he could return there, there's a guy who if he came back would have more um, headlines than the the appointment of Dan McFarlane oh as yeah. head coach you know and and I know there's even some interesting stuff with Jared Payne there's no uh, announcement yet on, on what he's doing in terms of playing or not because I know he's been doing the defence so mm. um, again you're kind of having these players there if you can kind of if he can come back and they can work something you'd, I don't know but if he does I think it'd be obviously a seamless transition yeah and also in the coaching rumour mill uh, we had Bernard Jackman in with it last year last year last week um, and it's Sean Edwards looks as if he might be hooking up with him yeah yeah seems to have him in for um, a day or two a week or something like that um, myself and Kev were talking about it before we said it used to be I think Andy Farrell did it in Munster uh, when well that's when he was I think contractually not allowed to step on a field yes yeah, okay <laughs> but he was available one day a week or whatever yeah. to assist with the transition of uh, Erasmus Leaven and or Niebner and to have to have your national coach as a uh, no matter what position be it a scrum coach be it attack coach to be involved is going to give confidence to those players to those dragon players and and what Bernard is trying to do at the dragons and try and uh, get as many re- Welsh players involved with mm-hmm. that Welsh side you know I think it's it's, it's a small little coup you know it's yeah. nice you know the, the, I mean the Welsh union owned dragons yeah. so you can imagine that that might have played into this uh, yeah of course but I I still think he could say oh, I'm busy on whatever I'm doing something he could kick it down the road but um, t- t- that could be just for those players can give them that little boost and mm. I think defence is a, is, a, is a big area for, for the Dragons so. no it's good mm. um, ok uh, first question is from Shane Madigan uh, Munster two semi-finals this year seems ok but needed a last minute sensational try to beat Toulon at home and hammered by Racing in the semi who lost cast yesterday and hammered by a Leinster semi B team that's probably a bit strong in the Pro 14 uh, with Byrne the only notable si- signing so this um, actually technically Shane this isn't a question but what he's getting at is how do how do Munster kick on from here is this actually as good a season as it might have seemed on the surface and when you consider the, the coaching transition that they went through um, that's actually not a bad result No I was just about to say that I was going to say when you lose your head coach halfway during the season and that's going to have a lot of um, disruption, you know, and uh, a few injuries, a few off-field stuff as well. And, like, all these things take toll, and people don't think they're much, but sometimes they do. Um, and for, if you'd taken Munster at the start of the year and said we'd, you'd have two semi-finals, they'd probably chop your hand off for it, to be honest, you know. And um, I do think they can kick on. I think... Um, one or two more players in can really make it a stronger year next year um, what position I don't know um, can they sign more South Africans yeah well that's I, I honestly personally I hope they don't get down that route mm. um, well they have in the academy yeah I know I, know. We might I, talk I, get, for, I get frustrated about it I, like you look at you kind of you nearly well not always but you can kind of associate a province with a kind of nearly a nation so you look at Ulster and Ulster would invariably signed South African players um, Leinster would normally go the line of uh, the odd, Aussies more so I think would be would have been more so if memory serves correctly and the odd Kiwi as well and initially it was um, Aussies and New Zealanders in um, in Munster 
and look at the quality that they used to get in and now we're just signing players kind of like offhand and I don't I get frustrated by that that they sign in so many players one you're you're stopping younger lads coming through not always look if their quality's there they should be there agree but I just think that there's so many you don't need that many you can have a couple in yeah and and they buy into the whole culture but then you're diluting it a bit too much I think okay okay Uh, continuing the Munster theme uh, this is from Darren Doheny will Simon Zebo go down as the most underrated player in Ireland and why do people outside of Munster not value him like we do down south from a, from a Leinster supporter well no hold on so, so <laughs> no, it's definitely from a Munster <laughs> fan right so um, but in your shoes you're Dubliner born and bred but played proudly for Munster mm-hmm. do you see both sides of that or do you what do you think is he underrated I, I, I don't think he's underrated oh. I, like, I, I think everyone knows he could, he's a match winner he, can, he has that X factor he can do things that like a lot of people don't do it'd be interesting to see if he was an Leinster how people would hold him in regard I can see that point but like no I don't I don't think I think Zebo is a man unto himself he's his own entity he will do whatever he wants to do and and he loves doing it for Munster you can see that he would never go anywhere else in Ireland 100% but um, no I don't think he's underrated at all I just think that Joe has if he, if that's what he's talking about he doesn't get the recognition that maybe he deserves I think that Joe just has a different way of doing things and he doesn't fit into his game plan um, he finds himself that there's enough game breakers match winners in his squad already so um, there's no need for one more and look it's up to Simon now to kind of kick on again and and, uh, and do well in France and it's <laughs> I'll tell you what next year is going to be some interesting rugby played with hmm. him and Teddy Thomas in that back three <laughs> it will be at times yeah <laughs> The, Frustrating. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'll be going to uh, hope they zoom in on Dunnock Ryan when there's a few yeah. <laughs> little faux pas going on. The, um, in terms of the, the, the valuing of Zebo by people outside Munster, what, I, what I'd say is there's probably a bit of this. When you're a fan of a team, you will be very, very loyal to the players who you've seen come up and you will ignore some of the flaws as well. And that mm. works the other way as well. When you don't see them every week, you might see the flaws without seeing all the good stuff that they bring you know and that's that's kind of natural um, yeah. but yeah Zeb, Planet Zeebs planet, interesting place yeah <laughs> very interesting yeah. Um, from Bojangles Gavigan uh, with <laughs> that's definitely a real name yeah. <laughs> okay Alan McNan I think with his drop goal winner against France coupled with the Grand Slam Champions Cup and Pro 14 title surely Johnny Sexton is odds on to win World Player of the Year or will they just end up giving it to Macaw again nice <laughs> nice <laughs> nice little twist there at the end yeah. um Johnny's been sensational hasn't he Um, he's definitely got to be up there whether he gets it or not I don't know Um, what month are they choosing that are they going to give Bowden Barrett enough time to kind of to catch up (laughs) to do do something yeah um, he's been tipping away hasn't he down in in Super Rugby but yeah it'd be interesting if Bowden produces one or two games I think in um, who they play in France anyway Um, you can kind of see him they do like to favour it but regardless uh, I know I, I think it goes back to what you've kind of said about Zebo that kind of love is blind but the neighbours ain't kind of that we've all like 
we love Johnny so much up here that like we do think I think he's underrated I think like outside of here I think everything he does because he's so quiet uh, and Kev mentioned it as well about he just gets on with it doesn't he well unless you're a Scarlet player he wasn't very quiet with uh, them no, the no true true but I mean off the field like you know he's just kind of he's subdued on the field he's not but mm. he is he's quiet and he goes about his business he loves what he does and Look, I, I'd love to see him win it. I uh, hope he does. Um, it'd be no more fitting to a guy. But again, if he did win it, you know exactly what he'd say. He'd be like, I wouldn't be here without my team, and, which is the culture that we're in at the moment. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah, and I'd be interested to see that. It'd be He's had an extraordinary year. He's been absolutely brilliant. Mm. I'd say it's been great to watch. Yeah. Um, the uh, there was a couple of moments even in that in that match alone that were just fantastic to be there. The kick over the kick over Evans after the high tackle penalty. Mm. Jesus, that was gorgeous. Oh, really just, gorgeous. Like I, I know we actually didn't mention it when we were talking about the game, but and he mentioned it in his kind of little interview about the kicking as well. Like you know, just as a, as a player on the field when a ten can just put it in the corner mm. and I was lucky enough where like I've played against Raj when he was doing it and Johnny when he was doing it and it it breaks you as a as a defender when he just put it over the corner and it just skips into touch just beside the five and you're like oh, and they didn't have to do anything to get there it's just that skill for Johnny to do that at the weekend and even James Lowe when he had his kick James Lowe's one was go- he, yeah. he had time and he just said oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this oh, it's a perfect <laughs> golf shot Kev called it a punch so little he went for a seven I went for a little pitching wedge but it was just like but those kicks are just like if it goes the other way it's just the, the head goes but everything's going your way and it can just just gets that momentum going again and when you have someone like Johnny who can just pin corners yeah. it's just got to frustrate can, the hell out of you can I be super critical sure go on um, Johnny's place kicking's off yeah but but okay I was thinking that coming in today um as in the ways, and I don't care if he's getting them or not. There was one get, kick he got that it was the look of the gods that it actually went over. It just looked and felt and sounded all wrong. But I don't think he's been striking it that well all year, really. Like mm. he hasn't had, like we're talking a lot about his kicking, and before in Six Nations we're talking about his in, had he an injury and whoever else is going to step up to kick. And obviously East had stepped up to kick previously, and yeah, I just but it, look, it's a testament to the guy that when his as a 10 as a main kicker when your kicking's off it can have a huge impact on your game on yep. outside of that and it's a testament to him that it has no it, if not it makes him more determined to to do something else get, some, get some more five points exactly yeah. I can't contribute this way so but it's it's it is the, I wouldn't say the fear but it's just that um, I guess it's kind of there isn't it I'm sure there's going to be other like Conor Murray's going to be there I'm sure there's going to be a few other lads practising I would like that I'm always in favour of multiple players in a team who can step up to kick a ball it gives the coach a lot more options oh, completely and a left footer and like small little things like that can change an awful lot you can manipulate the field an awful lot better with uh, a left and right footer in yeah. your back line so Luke McGrath and um, Gary Ringrose keep your kick and practice up mm-hmm. if you can uh, ok we'll end it there uh, thanks to James and Kev Hope you're Part-time well on the road, Kev. Yeah. Tal McMahon for producing, and Paul Donegan and Dermot Cronin were on production. Uh, we'll be back next Monday with a new podcast. Subscribe to it on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and every good podcast app to get us straight to your phone. This has been the Hard Yards. I'm Andy McGeady. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week. The Hard Yards on Sports Joe. Brought to you by Innocent Super Smoothies. On the bright side.
that before, but I'm the referee on this field, not you. Hi Rob, Zeebs here. Just want to discuss the captaincy next. He's calling. Oh, and Ring Rose comes through. Oh, that is brilliant from Ring Rose. Ring Rose is going here. What a score!